Good morning and welcome to the Action Hour. I'm Dave Lakin with Action Coach Business Coaching in Huntsville, Alabama. Each week we talk to small businesses and organizations who work with them. We talk about real strategies business owners can start using today to start moving their business to the next level. This week we're talking with Stephen J. Shaw of the Law Office of Stephen J. Shaw. Uh, Steve, good morning. Good morning. Appreciate you having me here today. Absolutely. Nice early Monday morning. Kick the week off right. Uh, tell us about Stephen J. Shaw. Where are you from? Oh, originally from Southern California, from Long Beach, and uh, didn't leave there till I was about 30, but I was an educator during those days, and uh, came out here with my wife and went to law school, kind of the hard way. Yeah. Did it with, uh, she was a teacher and stayed here with four kids while I commuted back from, uh, from Alabama, from Tuscaloosa, every weekend for three years. And wow. Not the recommended way to get through law school, but it, it worked. Why that was big law? Uh, always interested in it and um, have um, been around lawyers and law enforcement and things like that for a good long while. And it just was sort of calling to me, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that was about 26 or 27 years ago. Yep. So you've been in, you've been in Huntsville the whole time? I've been in Huntsville since 1983, I believe it was. And when I first got here, I was uh, one of the HSA swim coaches mm-hmm. and also uh, was at Randolph for two or three years as an educator, like I'd been before, and ran their swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And then uh, said my to my wife, wouldn't it be a good idea if I left for law school for three years and left you with four kids? <laughs> I'm sure she said, sure, great, do that. <laughs> so uh, what kind of law do you do? Uh, now it's it's a little more focused. You know, for 25 years I was in a firm, uh, actually 10 years of insurance defense work, and then 15 years um, that was with one of the other larger firms in Huntsville. And I've been out on my own for about a year. Yeah. And what I'm doing now is a lot of contractual, uh, also uh, still real estate, a lot of, lot of real estate, probates, wills, uh, contracts come up in all those situations, and typically they come up with real estate. So it's a lot of contract work as well and business formation. Great. So I guess what we'll talk about today is, uh, number one, reinventing yourself and, and kind of going from uh, working in a large firm to, to working in, in just your firm, uh, relatively small. Uh, just you know, later in life, so to speak, and then uh, also talk about all of the uh, you know the legal pitfalls that business owners can fall into, and how they can avoid them, and uh, the setup of a business, and and uh, and some of those things. Um, I understand you do you have done a lot of community service over your time here in Huntsville. <laughs> Uh, I have. Uh, you know, education's always been sort of at the root of it. And uh, back in uh, 1998, at a, in a weak moment, I ran for and, and quote, won the office of, uh, of school board. I mm-hmm. was I represented one of the districts here. So I was on Huntsville City School School Board from 1998 to 2002. Uh, that was a challenge. But, you know, again, it's for the greater good of the kids and trying to uh, improve the schools and their educational experience. Right. You uh, spent a lot of time in education, really. I have, yes. And it, and it flows well with, with the law because so many folks come in with a preconceived idea and you have to uh, – well, the best example I can give you is had no legal background. The first class I took in law school was called Clear and Effective Legal Writing, and it went downhill after that. <laughs> so I look at myself as Your writing a, or, the, or the classwork? All of the above. <laughs> but I, I look at myself as sort of a translator. I can educate people on, you know, some of that information that's in there that just almost doesn't make sense to them. 
Right. What was the area of law that you concentrated on first? I was insurance defense work for the first 10 years. You get in a car accident and some, you know, your insurance company would hire us to defend you. Uh, we had arson cases, you know, bad house cases, things right. like that. And you're so, on the insurance company side of, of the table. I, I was on my client's side who happened to have insurance. So I don't, oh, I don't know I that you'd say I wasn't defending insurance companies per se, although I did do some of that. Uh, mostly it was the insurance company would hire us and we would, you know, help that the defendant through that case. Okay. Uh, yeah, I could see how being on the side of the insurance company could be, uh, could be seen the wrong way. So uh, <laughs> probably good. You clarified that. Uh, and, and now um, we're going to start talking about the, uh, the business side of it. So there are a few different ways that a business can set itself up uh, C Corp, S Corp, LLCs. Are there, am I missing any there? Well, there's, there's, you know, people will think of partnerships. You know, just in normal everyday language, they say, "Hey, you want to form a partnership." What we're seeing a lot of these days is LLCs. Right. You know, they afford some of the protection, but uh, and I'm not a tax guy, but the tax folks would tell you that, you know, you're you're only really taxed once instead of twice that you would see in a in a uh, corporation setting mm -hmm. where it's coming in and also when it goes out to the shareholders being taxed. So you see an awful lot of LLCs that are being created these days. And uh, one interesting thing to note is that the LLC uh, laws changed dramatically that was effective January 1st, 2015 of this year. How'd they change? Well, the, the attempt was to make it a, a more simpler process that that um, you didn't have as many governing documents. And, and really, the, the two big changes that I would say is it went more to a contract law where before they would focus a lot on the statutes and things like that before they got to your governing documents. Now they look at the, the uh, LLC agreement, what used to be called an operating agreement. They look at that LLC agreement as, hey, let's look at that first. That is the contract, so we're going to go based on that contract. And I'll tell you about the other area. Um, it's it's called series. You don't see that as much either. So, But basically what happens is you have a parent company, and there's LLCs that can be formed underneath those companies. Um, it's another advantage that people have. All right. We'll talk about that after the break. Good morning. I'm Dave Lakin with the Action Hour, and we're here in the in the studio with Steve Shaw of the Law Office of Stephen J. Shaw. Uh, LLCs. Before we went to the break, we were talking about LLCs, and uh, and and uh, you know that's one of the things that you do is helping people to set up their corporations and all. Um, now you can go to LegalZoom and get that done. Just fill out a bunch of forms and and get that done. Uh, for very inexpensive, wouldn't you say? Oh, you don't even have to go there. You can Google, you know, an LLC form in Alabama or something like that, and, and it, it more or less mirrors the statute, and it's a checklist. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem with doing that is that, you know, you're excited, you're putting together a business, you're just trying to go down through your checklist. That's one of the things. I've got to have some documents. i got to file it here, file it there. But... It's important in my mind to go to an experienced attorney, someone who has actually litigated in the courtroom when things go bad, mm -hmm. because that's one of those things you don't like to think about, especially at the beginning, but they can go bad. And the devil's so, in the details. Yeah, that's right. And <laughs> so when you look it over as an experienced attorney, you can see some potential problems and you can do that 
uh, in direct relationship to what does the company do? You know, are you a service company? Are you selling something? Are you inviting people? And, you know, we tie that in with typical insurance that you might want to have with it. But you never think about those those bad things at a time when you're excited and you're moving forward. It's not that we're trying to bring doom and gloom down on it. We're just trying to say, here's a situation you might want to think about. Yeah, Uh, back from my program management days, you know, one of the things we always want to do at the very beginning of the project is look at the scope of the project and then do a risk assessment to determine, you know, the kind of the the, uh, the SWOT analysis. You know, what what are we going to run into that uh, could potentially tank the program? Uh, but on the other side, what opportunities could we run into that that could be a really good opportunity that could that could uh, bring us a lot more profit or a lot more work down the road? And so, in both of those cases, you have to plan in advance, and that comes with a, a good amount of forethought and consideration from what direction uh, it could take. And the exact same thing uh, occurs in a business. If they haven't planned well up front and created a great business plan, things like that, uh, and considered where the business might go, not just where you know they want it to go, uh, then you know they can run into real problems down the road. So I, I can certainly appreciate that um, you know the difference there. I think you said that the the forms, like from LegalZoom, are very vanilla. They don't have a lot of detail, and and um, they don't consider all the the uh, directions that the business could take. And uh, the folks who made up those forms have never done it in or litigated a case in Alabama. How, what more do you mean by that? that? More than likely, that's true. They've mm-hmm. never seen what what the bad part is. Their job is to look at the statute, what it requires and hit that checklist with the forms mm-hmm. and then guide you to where you need to file those things. Um, but it's like anything. I mean, planning is a, is a great way to put that because you don't plan in a, you know, a family or, or relatives get together and form an LLC because they have a great idea. You don't plan for that to fail. And then you don't plan for the aftermath when, uh, I mean, I litigated one. It's been 15, 20 years ago now that where well, it was a father and a son. And the father basically was the money behind it. The son was running the business. Things ran afoul when the business started to go down. Father didn't like the way the son was running the business, wanted to step in, and it turned into a case. So when you get to the end, if you litigate all the way through that, there's really no winners. Even though one side prevails and the other one doesn't, that family relationship has has just you know, it's just rough to recover from something like no, that. I can't believe that. So if you have a family <laughs> business, even if it's just a husband-wife team, that there can be disagreements that might not go the way you want it to? <laughs> not if you say yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's absolutely true. I, um, some of the, the – uh, in my coaching business, some of the businesses that I work with are husband-wife teams. And, uh, you know, there's there's generally more than one way to skin a cat. Uh, no offense to Tiki running around here at the station, but, um, you know, the the way the husband wants to do it and the way the wife wants to do it, it's two totally different ways. And the husband uh, in, in one of the, the uh, businesses is very much the technician and has grown the business from, you know, from nothing made with his hands, essentially. And she's the great administrator, planner, uh you know, project manager kind of person uh, on the administration uh, administrative side. So they just they see things differently. Both of them have great ideas. They you know both of the ideas will work, but you got to pick one. And you know, as a husband wife team, you got to decide. You know, we're going to pick one, and that's the direction we're going to go because 
uh, you know, that's where you need to put your thought and your concentration and, and develop your guidelines and, and the systems and processes around one way or the other. That's right. Um, it's, it's a Mars-Venus thing. Yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of them where you have, and, and you're sort of describing that here, uh, but you have a very logical thinker with someone who is more hands-on, more emotional, mm-hmm. uh, worried about the employees instead of the books, and you just get that rub all the time um, right. in certain situations. And you, do your governing documents even talk about what you do, uh, who prevails? Yeah. Well, when, uh, when we come back off the break, that's something I want to talk about a little bit is uh, succession planning. You know, so if you have a husband wife team and, you know, that decides to go south and they, they can't agree on things and they end up splitting, then what happens to the business? They're both owners in the business or, you know, God forbid the, the worst happens and somebody passes away. And, uh, you know, what happens to the to the remaining shareholders and and how can you plan for that in advance? That's a good thing to talk about. All right, so we'll be back in a few minutes, and we'll talk about that. Good morning. Welcome back. I'm Dave Lakin with the Action Hour, and we have Steve Shaw here in the studio. Stephen, we took off on the break. We were talking about uh, what happens or how do you protect yourself in the business uh, in the case where you have you know multiple owners, multiple partners, might be husband, wife, could be family members, just could just be a bunch of bunch of friends who formed a business together. Um, how do you protect yourself and and plan for the worst? And uh, and and what happens if the if the partnership breaks up, uh, but you still have a good business that needs to keep running? Well, that's what we were talking about. Is filling out the forms is the easy part. Uh, now that the LLC law has changed and it's a lot more emphasis on contract law. It's very important, that LLC agreement. That is a contract. And when you get into litigation, uh, typically what the judge will do is, uh, or, you know, is have you focus on that contract so that you see whether or not the answer to the question or the issue at hand can be answered within the four corners of that document. If it's not in, in there in the contract, that opens it up to a lot more time and expense because you know you'll have to take depositions and you go back and forth uh, on he said she said type of things. But the succession planning should be. I mean, you just have to provide for things that you don't plan. You know, life is not a guarantee, and uh, it's very important to plan for the unexpected. Think about it, even though you don't want to think Plan about it. Plan for the worst, no for the best. That's that's exactly right. And so, what you're looking to do is to make sure that, um, and what what we see is limiting terms in the document that'll say, you know, if a member of an LLC or uh, you know one of the board directors or something like that passes away, then there's a there's a way to protect the business. It's not just open up, or that person couldn't will theirs to another person that you can't work with. So the planning is very, very important on how that succession is set up, whether it's by dissolution or death or you know some other uh, means that you're uh, ending that relationship. So how do the owners have to protect themselves and their families with their portion of the business as you know, that's a, that's a personal asset. You know, if you own 30% in the business or, or whatever, that's something that needs to be planned for in the, in the wills. And, and you, you do wills and probates as well, right? Right, right. And, and if you think about it, they're all just contracts. They're all planning ahead. Uh, and that's, that's exactly what you're doing. You're planning. Mm-hmm. Like, 
at my age, you know, I've got a will in place. Uh, and I sit down and I tell my children, you know, if mom's not there, this is what's going to happen. They hate talking about it. They don't want to sit and talk about it. But by the same token, I've had situations where, in fact, just recently, the uh, worst case scenario that I can possibly think of, I was working with a, an, an older lady and she had in her mind just exactly how she wanted all of her assets to go. Um, and she wanted to give small amounts of money to nieces, nephews, grandchildren, and things like that. There were a few that she just couldn't make a decision about. And I kept pressing her and pressing her and pressing her. And you can imagine the worst thing that could happen is she passed without a will. She never actually signed that will. Mm -hmm. And now you're governed by the statute, and her assets are not going to go anything like she wanted them to go. Right. And the family's agonizing over it. Well, and that probably puts the other partners in the business at risk too, it as can. well, doesn't it? It sure can. Mm. Now, you started by saying at my age. Uh, <laughs> a, a, good, a good friend of mine here in town, uh, uh, Jonathan Hornsby, we had this conversation recently. And, you know, people think like that. You know, when you hit a certain age, and it's probably different for everybody, that's when people start thinking about how am I going to protect my family, protect my assets, and make sure that they – go or stay wherever I want them to. Um, but I, my feeling is, as a, as a business coach, if you're 21 and you just started your own business and you, you get other people who you're responsible for or who have to consider in your decision-making, a wife and a child and things like that, then that's the time to have a law, you know, a, 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 a will. Because, it, you know, you're 20 years old and, and you know, look at look – at, uh, uh, Zuckerberg and these these guys who have built huge businesses at such a young age, and they affect their employees, they affect their uh, their their families that they've created, and and uh, there's a lot of stakeholders there, and uh, and it doesn't matter how old you are, you can get hit by a car crossing the street after the show here, and and uh, and all of a sudden a will became very important to the people who you left behind. That's right, and and you know I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, unless you're you know, growing up, we had a few people disappear from Southern California, and they just surfed the world and didn't have anybody to answer to and didn't really – they just ate as they went type of thing. But short of that, you need a will, especially if you have children because there's guardianships and might be conservatorships in there, and you need to pick out trustees and personal representatives that you trust and that you know will follow through with your wishes or you feel confident about that. Yeah. Uh, and it just makes it all easier for everybody. You know, we we uh, lost a family member this year, and and all that wasn't in place, and it was really difficult. And uh, and you know, it's at a time when you're grieving already, and to have to go through all those fine de details just makes it that much worse. It does. Um, all right, shifting gears here. Uh, contracts and collections. Some of the businesses I work with, you know, they have to have contracts in, in place before they, they start work. You know, it's a services-based business. Um, how can you help? How, how should they uh, be using Allure to help them support in their business for contracts and, and collections? You know, when people don't want to pay, you still got to feed the family and pay the bills. So uh, talk about that. Well, you know, it's interesting that you see all kinds of contracts. Um, probably a good example is the construction industry. You'll see some folks that have a one-page, very nebulous piece of paper that everybody signs off on, call that the contract, and then you'll see others that have got 10 pages, <coughs> excuse me, got 10 pages of contract trying to, trying to cover every single thing, every contingency that might happen. 
Um, there's a fine line between too much and too little, obviously. Right. So uh, that's where a little bit of common sense. You don't ever want to lose your common sense when you're doing that type of thing. You know, the, I think the days that of just doing things on a handshake are sadly pretty much over with, but it also doesn't mean that you can provide for every single contingency. So you find a happy medium that's good for you and good for the customer, and then you just follow through with what you're saying, and you'll stay out of litigation. Um, that's the the best I c- advice I can give you. It's those areas where you didn't cover it, the uh, unforeseen contingencies. How does a lawyer help? Well, if it's an experienced lawyer, that's somebody who has litigated, been through the process and everything else, seen where things run off the tracks. That person's invaluable in saying, yeah, you might want this, you might not want that. Uh, another example I can give you in, in a situation, I had a young lawyer one time many years ago who came to me and said, hey, you're licensed in Tennessee. I need a Tennessee lawyer. Uh, I've got this contract that I have between two businesses. One was a Tennessee business and one was an Alabama business. So he said, I've been working on this forever. I look at his contract, and right there is a provision that says any kind of problem is going to be governed by the laws of the state of Alabama. I said, you don't need a Tennessee lawyer. It says right here this conflict provision. And what he said, well, I will never forget. He was, you know, fresh out of law school. And he said, oh, my goodness. I said, hey, that's important. You're going to need to talk to both sides. Oh, it's been very difficult to get this contract put together. I'm not bringing that up. That That's just wrong on all sort of situations you can imagine. Yeah. But the question then is, okay, exactly, who do you represent? Because there may come a time when this runs off the tracks. And if you didn't bring that up and they didn't negotiate that provision – you're going to have a problem. Right. And, right. Uh, that's, that's where experience comes in. Yeah, we have, uh, uh, you know, a number of large uh, construction projects going on here in town right now. We have big companies that are coming to, to Huntsville. And, you know, in some ways Huntsville is a big town, and in other ways it's kind of a small town. And so, you know, you get these, you know, good-sized construction projects and build-outs going on, and they get a really good general contractor to manage it and keep them on on schedule and all. Uh, But that doesn't mean the money is always going to flow as quickly as it should. So when they subcontract out these the work, um, you know, electrical work or fire security work or whatever, you know, there's a lot of of different folks involved in the building of a building. And, uh, you know, some of those businesses could be really impacted by – the uh, slow flow of cash. So from the time that they get contracted for the work and buy all the materials until the project is done and the the general contractor wants to start paying everybody, that could be a year plus. And so all those, all that material cost and the labor cost, you know, they all on the way, they still have to pay their laborers and things like that. They have to pay the people who they bought all the materials from Uh, that can, can, can be slow and so uh i want to talk about collections you know usually there's agreements in place that you're going to get paid at certain intervals throughout the construction project and so what happens when big corporation doesn't pay and uh and the little guy could really suffer from uh from having to go after that money you know a lot of times they feel powerless you know i can't go after these this big company they're going to crush me Uh, but i got to get paid i got to pay my folks and my and uh, people who I bought materials from. So we'll talk about that when we get back. Um, I definitely want to say thanks for being here. You have given us a, a lot of insight. And uh, uh, when we get back, we'll talk about that with collections.
All right, we're back. Well, Steve, going into the break, I kind of teed you up to talk about collections. Right. Uh, how? How do? What's the the your best recommendation for business owners, especially small businesses, to manage collections? Well, it runs the gamut. A lot of what you were talking about was some of your larger building projects, and uh, and you're right. The the non payment flows through all the way down to the last little subcontractor in there. But typically, some of your very large um, or even your state projects, schools, different things like that, they're required to carry bonds. And so it, that's essentially an insurance policy that says the work will be completed with the materials timely. And, you know, so they'll, uh, if there's a wrong in there, typically you're, that bonding company will get involved. But that's not what we see most of. Mostly what we see is somebody who performs a service and then they don't get paid for it. And, you know, you can go from small claims court, which is uh, up to $3,000. There's another division up to 1500 and, uh, Honestly, you're, the judges don't really care to see too many lawyers in the small claims. They just want them to come in and say their piece and let them make a decision. Uh, but then they go to ten, twenty thousand, and more. Um, sometimes it's a letter. Sometimes uh, there are some uh, things available to you. And if you provide for them in the contract, you know, personal guarantees is is one way to do that. So you're not trying to go after a, a company. You're actually, all right, we'll go to the company first, but if they're not there, then I'm going to go after the personal guarantee that I was able to get. When it's dealing with real estate, any kind of land like that, and you've done some either work or you have supplied some materials to that real estate, and I mean, that could even be something like uh, you, you put in a sound system, let's say. You have the right to lien that property if you're not paid. There's all kinds of rules related to that. And the statutes are very strict about the time, so delay is not in, on your side. If you miss that window that's in the statute, since it's not a favored public policy type of a thing, it's gone, that, that available to you. Uh, if you actually obtain a judgment, and that's one of the interesting things that I've heard off and on over the years, people think you go into court, you try your case, you win, and somebody cuts you a check when, the, when you're walking out the courthouse right. door. That, that might all be the case up to the check part. That's right. Nothing further from the truth. Yeah. That's really, you know, some lawyers will tell you that's really when the job begins is trying to hunt down assets trying to find a way to collect from those people. But you have garnishment if you know where they work. You can attach personal assets. There's just a, a lot of work and effort involved in that. All right. Well, uh, I want to make sure we hit that because I know that's a sore point for a lot of business owners uh, is getting paid. you got to get paid, pay the bills. Sometimes you get paid up front. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. We'll be back in a couple minutes. And we're back. And I'm not Cigar Dave. I'm Coach Dave. <laughs> um, okay, when we left for the break, we were uh, we were talking about collections. Uh, one of the things I want to emphasize here is that uh, when I work with business owners, I would encourage them to, number one, put provisions in place in advance that says that you're going to be paid incrementally. You know, maybe you get paid for the materials up front so that you don't have your vendors sitting there hounding you for payment. Uh, you might get paid, you know, at phases in the project, you know, 25%, 50% done um, so that, you know, you can continue to make your payroll and things like that throughout the project. Um, but then, you know, if you get to the point where where the uh, contractors are not paying you, 
then work with them. Don't just continue to send invoices and expect that you're going to get paid. You may have to get on the phone. You may have to go over and, and talk to them, uh, appeal to their better nature, uh, come to some kind of agreement on payment plans, whatever it is, but try and work with those those contractors directly uh, because getting a lawyer involved and getting the courts involved takes time, takes money. And as you said, with the judgment, there's no guarantee of payment down the road. Uh, but if you if you try and do it uh, in your agreements at the beginning of the project and through good communication, relationship building through the course of the project, you get a much better chance of being paid what you're owed. And, and Dave, that's one of the reasons why mediation is becoming such a big area of the law is um, – Courts don't want to see you in their courtroom litigating those types of things because they know one thing. There's going to be a winner. There's going to be a loser. And mediation and the process ahead of time, everybody can walk out with a win-win. So you were talking about those negotiation strategies. Even if you have to file suit, I've had many, many cases where I'm talking to the defendant, the person I'm trying to collect from, and I will reduce something to a judgment, but I won't collect on that. If they'll make the payments as they promised – my clients will typically not charge interest just so long as they make those payments. And for the other side, I tell them, don't promise something you can't follow through with. If you tell me $500 a month, I'm assume you can pay that. If you can't pay that but once or twice, make it $300 a month, something you can live with. And then everybody walks away with a win-win. Uh, real quick, because we're just about running out of time, can you talk about non-compete agreements and non-disclosure agreements real quick? Sure. That's a, a big thing in some areas of, uh, of uh, Huntsville, you know, with some of the government contracting and things like that. Um, I've heard oh, people all the time saying across the water cooler that, uh, you know, non-competition clauses and things like that in a contract are virtually unenforceable. Well, that's not true. Basically, you know, while they might not be favored because nobody wants to squelch somebody's ability to make money, um, if there are reasons to put that in place, the courts have pretty much withheld across the board that so long as they are reasonable in the length of time, the non-competition is in there, and reasonable within a geographic location. So if I'm, you know, say I'm teaching swimming or something like that, they're not going to, and you're competing with someone else doing that in this area, they're not going to uh, win if they say, I can't go anywhere in the nation or for the next 10 years, I can't. So again, a little bit of common sense, but the uh, if you only have, uh, say, a business that there's only four other businesses in the entire country that do that type of job, and they all have basically the same customer base, uh, because they're competing for all of that, then you can see that that geographic location can expand. But it has to be reasonable in the length of time that that's going to be enforced and as far as geographic location is concerned. Steve, I really uh, appreciate you coming out this morning. For, for business owners out there, uh, you know, we've talked about an awful lot in the last hour, and uh, I, I absolutely want to appeal to you that if you haven't had a great conversation with your attorney in the last year about how the law impacts you and your business, uh, to review your contracts, to review uh, your relationship in your in, as it pertains to your business, uh, I encourage you to get out and talk to your lawyer at least once a year just to see how the law might have changed during the, the interim. We've been talking to Stephen J. Shaw of Stephen J. Shaw Law Firm. Uh, you can find him at sjslawfirm.com. Uh, or search for Stephen J. Shaw here in Huntsville, uh, and you can get me the same way. I'm Dave Lakin at actioncoach.com. 
as uh, my email address. If you search on Dave Lakin or Action Coach here in Huntsville, you will find me. Thanks for listening today and uh, get in touch with us soon.